0: Good to see you all. Good morning. It is uh, great to be together. We're starting a new series today, and uh, we got some stuff here to do still here this morning, so I'm going to jump right into it. It's uh, it's the Easter season. You see the white cloth still on the cross. The candle is still burning here. We uh, I mean, the build-up to Easter is so significant that it is would be such a, a waste, such a missing of the mark if we were to... Just do that one Sunday and they'd be done with it. So we, along with just people throughout the Christian tradition and throughout the centuries, we participate in the Easter season. And so we take several weeks here just to continue to think about and live in the, the, the beauty of the, the resurrected Lord and what that means uh, as followers of Jesus to live a resurrected life as well. So. We want to jump into this new series and be thinking about that. And we're calling this new series, Conversations About, as you can see. And over the next month, we're going to talk about some of the issues of our day that don't often get talked about a lot in church. Now, it would be easier not to talk about these issues. It would be just a lot easier just to kind of slough them aside and and not pay that much attention to them. Sometimes it's easier not to talk about things and to have a conversation about them. You know this to be true in your home, maybe at the workplace as well, and it's true in the church also. It's easier not to talk about them, whether it's because we don't want to stir up controversy or because we don't want to offend people or because we don't want to risk our own reputations. Whatever the case may be, we often just kind of don't talk about very significant matters. I read this quote from Abraham Lincoln. He was reputed to have said, It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. And, and perhaps some of us uh, feel that way sometimes. I know I do when it comes to some of these, these issues and matters of great significance in our day. And so we don't talk about them. And yet here's the reality we're dealing with to not talk about these issues together as the body of Christ is also to create a whole other set of problems, because we're forced then to, on our own, formulate our own positions and our own opinions based on our own best thinking, I don't know where your best thinking has gotten you recently, uh, but mine, not so great, Uh, based on our own best thinking that is often influenced by uh, so many voices and noises all around us, the culture and the media and whatever it is, and so we're formulating our opinions and our positions on these issues based on these other Truths and so the truth is that we need each other as the body of Christ to reflect and to think and to share and to grow and to discover together a way forward as followers of Jesus through the through some of the difficult things that that we face and come up against in our world today. John Wesley was one of the theological forefathers kind of one of the guys we look to pastor and was a theologian in the 18th century and uh, he suggested that one of the means of grace. One of the ways in which God pours His love and His transforming power into His followers was through what Wesley called Christian conferencing, or another phrase that he used was holy conversation. He had a sermon that was called On Working Out Our Own Salvation, and in that sermon he he listed as one of the steps that Scripture directs us to take in growing as a follower of Jesus this this simple... uh, uh, simple statement he said let your conversation be with the children of God and see that it be in grace seasoned with salt he was referring to this passage I think I have it there from Colossians chapter 4 let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone and Wesley was particularly thinking about this happening in the small group or large group setting where Christians would gather together but he also using a reference to leadership conferences or decision-making bodies in the church that would come together and w- would simply do a few things. They would seek after God. They would listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. They would search the Scriptures. They would, they would share with one another. They would listen to one another. They would, they would use the, the, re- the God-given reason that they had. They would think about the traditions of the church, and they would listen and speak together and speak truthfully into one another's lives and Wesley just believed that it was in this kind of an environment and I'm prone to believe the same same thing that it was in this kind of environment this kind of an atmosphere that people like you and me could begin to experience at a deeper level our own sanctification our own growth in Christ's likeness our own becoming more and more the people who God would have us to be and growing in our love for God and for others and so we want to engage in some holy conversation. All that to say, we we want to engage in some holy conversation over the next several weeks um, and talk about, again, some issues that, that, uh, that we don't often talk about. And our purpose is really going to be twofold. I want you to keep this in mind. Purpose is going to be really twofold. The first is to examine the content of these issues and to think about them biblically and scripturally and theologically and to To offer some perspective and some foundation as to how believers, how we really ought to respond and how we ought to react and how how we ought to act in the middle of these sorts of issues that we face every day. So we're going to think about some some very specific ways about how we should respond as believers. But at the same time, I think just as important, the second purpose, which is, again, not second in importance, but just in number, we want to... um, uh, demonstrate and set an example, and I want to, and the people that I'm going to be talking with, we want to set an example of how we can respond and speak about these issues in ways that are non defensive and non divisive, and that ultimately can even be pleasing to God. We, we want to talk about, it. in other words, it's not just the content of the conversation. We want to model kind of the manner or the tone of the conversation as well, and how we as believers can continue not to, not only to live out the content, but how to live out the manner or the tone by which we participate in conversations like this. And so, I thought we would start with an easy one today and talk about the relationship between faith and politics. Piece of cake, right? one of my friends here in the church, who remain nameless, but uh, when I sent out this uh, topic in The Wave this week, I don't know how many of you are avid readers of The, the Wave, our weekly e-newsletter, but uh, when I sent out the topic, I was hoping to kind of maybe spark a little interest and get a few more folks here to talk about this. One of my friends just simply wrote back, are you crazy? <laughs> and the answer to that question is Probably but here we go anyway. Uh, I I have been pastoring and preaching here at Coast Community for nearly 14 years. That's going to make some of you feel really old. It does me. But I have managed in those 14 years, nearly 14 years, to remain about as apolitical or non-political as I think one person can, can be. I don't know if you've noticed that. Some of you have wanted me to be maybe even a little bit less. Some of you may have wanted me to be a whole lot more, but I have remained fairly apolitical and My intention is not to change that, so don't get your hopes up here today. However, in the world in which we live, where uh, there is so much divisiveness, so much separation in our culture over this issue of politics, and especially how we relate to it as Christians, in a world where we are still divided somewhat in color by black and white, but now even more so by red and blue. In a world where still Christians are left to their own devices to formulate their political opinions or left to the traditions with which they've been raised or left to, and in the worst case, the political maneuverings of the party with which they align themselves. In, in these kinds of situations, then to not say anything, to not speak to this issue as the body of Christ is to, is to leave us kind of wandering in the dark. And, and is unfair, and as the phrase I use sometimes with Jake, is just kind of almost pastoral malpractice. To not give us some handles and at least begin to think and talk about this. So in a minute, I'm going to have a couple of guys come up here and join me who probably know quite a bit more about this, actually, than I do, and I've been learning from them even this week. Um, but before they do, I want to just simply read three passages of Scripture that I think are foundational and there are many passages in Scripture where Jesus talks and others talk about the relationship between faith and political systems and governments. But I want to read three passages that I think are just foundational to how we think about our relationship, our, our approach as Christians to this subject. And then I want to just give you three words. Three quick words that, that hopefully will give us again some handles. Three words that maybe you can hold on to as you think about your approach to this participation in, uh, in the politics of our day. So here are the passages. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about these right now, but I just want to read them to you. The first is from Matthew 22. I'll read all three of them, and then we'll, we'll say our liturgical, uh, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so let me read all three of these passages. First, first from Matthew. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, him being Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men, listen to them puffing him up, because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, This portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, as maybe some of you are even right now. So they left him and went away. Awesome. Matthew. Now, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 13. Peter writing to a persecuted church in the midst of, uh, of the early days of the followers of Jesus where they were suffering uh, at the hand of, of, of government and many others. He says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, Or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Note the uh, order of those last instructions. And the last one from Ephesians 4.29. Let's read this together, can we? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Thinking about these passages, the first word I want to suggest to you that I hope will help us to get a little bit of a handle on a Christian's involvement in the political world, world is the word loyal. The word is loyal. And uh, you think about that. Governments and politics are, uh, whether we like it or not, they are a reality in our world. They are a part of this society and our existence. And since God is interested in the world, not just the spiritual matters of the world, but the whole world, then we as God's people are to be interested as well in the things of this world. The Bible and Jesus never seem to make any allowances for simply ignoring the role of government and politics in our world. While it may be easier to do this a lot of times, uh, at least the normal sense uh, of of Jesus' position, the Bible's position, is that we are not to ignore politics. We are not to try and escape from them. We are not to try and disconnect ourselves from government. Um, Both in the words of Jesus, of Jesus, where he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and in Peter's admonition to submit to human authorities, whether the king or to the governors, to do right, there is a call here for believers to be loyal in their respect for the government, officials and the political systems of their day, and in their obedience to these leaders. The Bible doesn't say to do this only for those political leaders that you voted for or the ones that you agree with. In fact, we would have to agree that neither Jesus nor Peter agreed with the political principles of the Roman emperor. Correct? And, and, and so they, they do, along with the Apostle Paul, recognize that at least in those matters, let me be clear about this, that did not run counter to the ways of God, though they might not agree with them personally, they were to be loyal to the authorities in government. Loyal. Second word is one that we need to say quickly. After we say that first word. Uh, The second word affirms that as Christians, we have a tension with that first word. We have an issue. We have a crisis. We have a problem. For as followers of Jesus, we are not only citizens of this world, but we are citizens of another kingdom. We're citizens also of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And as citizens of this kingdom, we give our primary allegiance to God himself and and it's the ideals and the principles of this kingdom that inform our earthly politics and not the other way around. So, while we may say on one level that a Christian is to be loyal to earthly political leaders, I must quickly add this second word that to the extent we are to be loyal to the government is limited. It's to be loyal, but it's to be limited to that which doesn't infringe upon God's ultimate authority in our lives. Loyal, but limited. In Jesus' words, we'll give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Taxes, obedience to civil and criminal laws, maybe even some military service and duty. But we will give to God what is God's. Whose, Whose stamp is on that coin? Caesar's. We'll give it back to him. Whose stamp is on us as human people? God's stamp, God's image. And so we will give to God ourselves. We won't give ourselves to any political system or any earthly government. We'll give what has been given to us from them and what is due to them, but we'll give ourselves and all of who we are, the totality of who we are as people, uh, to God and God alone. Peter noted, we will submit to the authorities, did you catch it? But only for the Lord's sake. (laughs) And we will do good, not just because we're supposed to do good, but as a witness to the people in authority. And I love the words that I mentioned are kind of highlighted there that we will honor the king, but we will fear God. And uh, we need to always keep those in mind. Again, it's our faith that informs our politics, not the other word around, other way around. Third word is this: it's to be loyal, it's to be limited. Third word is this: loving. This speaks less to the content of our politics, and more again to the manner, the tone with which we express our politics. As followers of Jesus, no matter what party we belong to or which political hot buttons, uh, you know, we like to press or, you know, really kind of uh, drive us. The scripture makes it clear that political expression on the part of a follower of Jesus is to be different from that of the world. Our words and our actions are not to be based in anger or accusation or kind of this attack mode, but they are to be grounded in love. Ephesians passage that we read talks about let no unwholesome talk. That, that word unwholesome in the Greek literally could mean putrid or rotten. Unwholesome is a nice way of translating that. Uh, but, but we recognize that anything that comes from our mouths that could be construed as abusive or demeaning or spreading malicious gossip or lies is just simply out of bounds for the follower of Jesus. Anybody want to say Amen. Amen. Kind of a half-hearted amen, but I'll take it. Whether we are on the winning side or on the losing side, my friends, it remains the same. One writer I read simply asked this question, does the Lord give us an exemption from practicing the Scriptures when it comes to our political leaders, those who hold office and others with whom we disagree? Are we allowed to simply lay aside the golden rule? Do the words of Scripture... Uh, regarding our speech and our enemies no longer apply when we're talking about those with whom we disagree politically. And in a word, no. We're going to invite Tom Glass and Jake Duckworth to come on up here and join me. We are invited to speak the truth in love. We're going to try to do some of that um, for a few moments here. Uh, this isn't just an invitation to kind of be kind of milk toast and plain and and just nice for nice sakes, I'm not calling us that, this is not an invitation to not, or, or an instruction to not be discerning in, in who we are and, and in the positions that we're taking. This is, this is not a, an invitation or instruction to kind of shut up our brains and just kind of do whatever the political leaders in our government ask us to do. It, it is an invitation to stand true and to stand firm and to live as, as one driven by this kingdom of heaven and to live out those principles in our world, but to do so in such a way that, that is always reflective of the presence of Jesus in our lives. Jesus was, he wasn't always nice, but he was always loving. We talked a little bit about that in the Bible class this morning, about how Jesus was able to pull these things off. And so we are to keep moving in this direction and, uh, and learning from him. So, loyalty, uh, limited and loving. I want to talk to these couple of guys and hear from you and, and, and hear from them and, and let, let us engage a little bit together in some conversation. Because um, you, you don't know some things about these guys. Maybe some of you do that, that I do. And uh, both in terms of their background and in terms of what God is doing, has done, and is doing in, in their lives in regard to this, this topic. So, Tom Glass, let me uh, kind of start with you. Tom leads our Monday night. Uh, great uh, group here if you're, if you're ever interested in connecting or coming and being a part of a group where you just get to kind of have a wonderful meal together and share and just talk about life and study the word and, and uh, focus in on some of those things. Monday night is your night. Uh, Tom's also a member of our church board and, and uh, other things going on. But Tom, give us a little bit of insight into your background in the world of politics, if you will. Just, just kind of set the stage a little bit.
1: Well, I was raised here in Santa Barbara. My parents were Democrats, and uh, not, nothing wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I really didn't, uh, wasn't really conscious of politics. I mean, uh, going through elementary and, uh, and middle school, I uh, knew there were elections going on. I uh, remember, actually, my first memory is of John Kennedy being elected. But it was in 1964 that perhaps I got my baptism in Drifted into the Republican Party because uh, my senior year, 1964 65, but there was a very large election looming uh, Lyndon Johnson against Barry Goldwater. And one of our class assignments was to go out at Irwin Warren Showgrounds. There was a debate, it wasn't between the candidates, but it was between their representatives. And went out there, kind of not really worrying about either side. My interest was women and uh, her girls and football. (laughs) and got there and was introduced to the Goldwater girls and they were hot. (laughs) So I became a Republican. (laughs) Plus, uh, there was a political ad running at the time and it was if you support Goldwater, your children will be drafted and sent to Vietnam to fight. So I supported Goldwater and I was drafted and I was sent to Vietnam to fight course Goldwater didn't win, Johnson won. (laughs) But it was there that I began to even formulate more my attitudes about things and when I came home and went out to UCSB I got more involved in politics and in 1970 I actually started working actively and upon graduation I was on my way to law school and changed focus because I was hired onto a local political campaign as well as that was a re-election year for President Nixon and got actively involved and as a result of that for the next 35 years I had a career in politics doing everything from working in state legislative offices to actually running campaigns and that really became my career. I became a campaign manager, a consultant, strategist, a designer of mail pieces and and all of that and it served me well uh, for the rest of 35 years until I had my moment uh, that Jesus spoke to me. Uh, I was involved in politics at virtually every level from the local levels, not only here but throughout the state and also throughout the country working on behalf of candidates and issues. So that's my background.
0: Tom, tell, tell me a little bit about just a little more about the work that you did um, in terms of, you know, uh, just the way that you went about your work. I believe you said something to me about the fact that this wasn't just a, you know, an election, this was a war, basically. Well, that's
1: really it, is that uh, I cut my teeth in a... I went into it because of ideals and principles. And I tried to think I never changed, but I knew I did, because it became all about winning. And mine was a take-no-prisoners attitude. Uh, I mean, if I was going to lose, I was going to go out hurting the other person or damaging them, I won't say hurt them, physically hurting them, but damaging them. So I was a, it was a take-no-prisoners uh, lifestyle for me.
0: Talk about some of the turning points or transition, things that begin to maybe work in your spirit as the Lord continue to work in you and on you, and, and you know s- some of the turning points back a ways, and then even recently how just your discipleship, your following of Jesus is continuing to impact the way that you think and act and respond in terms of politics?
1: Well, naturally, as I got deeper into it, I began to lose my focus. And it was more about winning than about who I was helping get elected or the issue. It was all about winning. I was focused on making money because I was earning a decent living. I was focused on, uh, well, I, I just all the wrong things were focusing. And I found myself getting angry. I was frustrated and angry, not so much at whether we lost or not. I mean, I, I didn't lose too often. But it was, I just was getting frustrated. I, I wasn't happy. Um, I seemed lost and confused. And uh, it was at that point that uh, actually, what happened to me, my road to Damascus experience, if you wanna call it that, when Jesus actually spoke to me or, was that it had nothing to do with my career. It had to do with something entirely different, but it, it changed my focus. And, uh, mm-hmm. and when I changed my focus and began to seek God and seek his will, politics became unimportant. Not that I'm still not passionate about issues. I mean, You ask me, I am still passionate, I'm still involved. But as I tell a friend of mine who knows me from that day, he asked me why I don't run campaigns or get involved, and I said, because I serve a different master today. Awesome. Jake, let's bring you in on it.
0: Um, we talked a little bit about how much, what's that? Why am I sitting up here? <laughs> yeah, why are you here? Uh, we talked a little bit about this, this week, and I, as we were kind of thinking about this whole series, Jake and I get together and just brainstorm and talk about issues and ideas. And a lot of what I say has been run by him. And so this is, even when I'm the one doing the talking, it's a lot of times a team approach. But in our approach from this, finally, I was like, Jake, I, you gotta be up there. So talk a little bit about your background with all this, Jake, your, your uh, kinda short but significant history in terms of connecting to politics, and then we'll, we'll take it from there.
2: Um, I'll be clear on one thing just at the start, that though Tom may be sitting on your right and me on your left, this is not a political spectrum <laughs> up here. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a political enigma, I think. I confuse even myself uh, when when I'm trying to figure out where I stand politically. And uh, there, there are reasons for that, and so I'll tell you a little bit of the history. Um, I grew up in a politically conservative home, and it was, you know, through the, through the 80s where where everything that seemed to be talked about, at least to my child mind, was, um, was morality and, and voting the conservative morals. And, uh, and so, to my mind growing up, like, how could you be a Christian and not simultaneously a Republican, you know, which stood for the higher morals? And, um, and so that was kind of what I, what I took into college and—, and um, getting into college and beginning to take a lot of theology courses, knowing you know I was called into ministry, uh, I began to discover um, just a, another side of our faith as well. As we discovered, uh, or as we studied, all these passages where where Jesus is talking about money, and he's talking about poverty, and he's talking about justice, and and uh, just a, a different side of things that have to do with the well with with the status quo of Broken societies, and uh, and and I began to realize that those things, um, where money goes and things like that, those are as much moral issues as the other issues of morality, and uh, and that was that was also right about the time um, with a whole debacle with Clinton and stuff, and, and so there was there was those moral issues and and uh, and a bunch of stuff, and so I, I go I went I left the country actually. And uh, went to uh, Costa Rica. Um, I actually went to Mexico first because I was wanting to get up close to a political movement that was taking place in Mexico called the Zapatista movement. And it was a movement of native people in southern Mexico that had had land taken from them. And so from within there, there was a a kind of a guerrilla warfare guy um, that uh, his name was Subcommander Marcos. And he was a very charismatic figure, wore a mask all the time and had a pipe and um, rode a horse, and uh, but he was he was an interesting speaker, and, and was leading this movement for, for the native people in Chiapas, Mexico, to, to try and get back some rights and some land, and and I just I began to be very interested in a kind of theology that um, is called liberation theology, and liberation theology is a grassroots theology that was kind of born out of Latin America, um, where it views the scriptures and views theology from the perspective of a marginalized people. And it's really interesting because um, the Jewish people from where the scriptures came originally, they were a marginalized. They were an oppressed people. And, uh, and so it, it brings a different lens to the reading of the scriptures. And uh, so I started to study in Latin America and learn those things and, and developed this way of looking at, at passages that really just kind of rocked my world and, and swung me pretty far left. Um, and and so here I was. I had this big, big swing. And um, and the more I was around this liberation theology university, you know, I found myself participating in, um, in pickets, you know, or um, different kinds of protests, and uh, even uh, paying a lot of attention to uh, worldwide politics. And uh, together, we all read scriptures and got angry about injustice in the world, and at the same time, I was just starting to have some interaction with the Nazarene Theological Seminary in Costa Rica, and uh, and found myself in these two worlds where, where the, uh, I was kind of rubbing shoulders with a lot of the professors there who would be um, politically conservative evangelicals, and and I was watching them and watching their lives and watching their wives, and I found myself really interested because I was drawn to these social issues of justice and poverty and what Jesus says about that, and yet I was caught up in anger and, you know, revolution. And then I would look over here, and there was these people that perhaps were not so vocal or so um, having this righteous anger, and yet their lives reflected compassion and they were involved in giving and involved in in ministries that really tangibly reached out face to face with poor people and uh, found myself just totally confused you know in the wanting to to have what I felt like was a a, a godly indignation against injustice and yet also um, not wanting not to be angry and uh, and so so i'm there I am thinking, like, so what is it? You know, do I, uh, do I move back right and just kind of, you know, from my own compassion and giving uh, deal with social things, or do I stay left and just try to not be so angry? And what I really kind of came to was that um, I, need an, I need an entirely different political realm altogether. Um, I, need, I need Jesus and the politics of Jesus to really inform where I stand politically and, uh, and began to see both right and left um, as almost two sides of the same coin that, in my perspective, while each have good aspects, neither by themselves, n- neither together even, are going to solve <laughs> the problems of this world. Um, and what I came back to is that we need the church to stand for the politics of christ and we need the church to uh we need the church to um to really work in transformation the transformation of people that will become yet an entirely different politics and uh and and so there i am still not really knowing where to stand when it comes time to vote because i line up here with some and i line up here with others and and that makes voting difficult, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that that's my civic duty as well. So
0: I, What I hear you saying, Jake, is not and I think we talked about this a little bit is not necessarily even kind of the radical center, as some like to call it, but this third option altogether that's over here somewhere that is, is the kingdom of God, ethic or politic, that then kind of forms and yeah. kind of looks down upon these others.
2: And not to make my perspective on those things the perspective that you all should take, you know. I, yeah. um, there were lots of political parties in Jesus' day, you know. There was the Zealots and there was Pharisees and Sadducees and then there was the Romans and, and people kept on trying to pigeonhole him and he kept on saying you know, my, my kingdom is not of this world. And uh, that's, that's what I'm aiming for. Uh, but it is still very much uh, I kind of limping through it, I think. Yeah,
0: so I think one of the scriptures that now we see is, if through a, a glass, right, half, you know, darkly, dimly, and then we shall see fully, and so we are kind of limping through this a little bit, and we're we're trying to kind of blend this or inform this from this, and without totally escaping or, you know. Leaving it behind. So I guess my question I want to talk just for a couple minutes is, what, in in addition, you know, to what I said about loyal or limited or loving or in contrast to those, even if you want to, um, what are some other handles that you might say or some that that you could give that you've found helpful that you could share with us? Um, Maybe some particular qualities or characteristics of either political leaders or, or political ideas that, that Christians, you know, at least you found, are significant and should, that we should pay attention to? Or, uh, or just other, um, I guess, just kind of helps for actually dealing with the government and politics of our day? Jump in. Yeah. little ones.
1: Well, it was interesting. Yeah, Rick. It was interesting that uh, when James called me uh, yesterday, or set. Saturday morning was it? Friday morning? Yeah. I had just finished for uh, our Monday night group, I have a bunch of lesson plans in the can. I had just been finished doing a uh, study on uh, David and his encounter with Saul in the cave when he cuts the hem of his robe. And how it, it was a, s- a study of how David chose to try to be obedient to God as opposed to take his own self-interest into his own hands. And there was a citation in this study to uh, Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, in which uh, we're told, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. What made me think about that particular scripture as I read it and transcribed it into my lesson How do I put that into focus, given my political persuasion and my attitudes about what's going on in our country? How can I remain loyal to an authority that I, there's very little I find that I can agree with. I'm not suggesting to any of you you need to think exactly as I do, as Jake said. But how do we do that? And I realize that the way we do it is, we render under caesar that's what is that which is caesar's but that we try to remain loyal to our god as well and if we are asked to do something or to if we're asked to do something that goes against god's will then then we rebel but if if it's merely a law that we just don't support We can still be loyal. I mean, I don't necessarily agree that the speed limit should be 65 on the freeways, but I obey it under penalty of a fine more than anything. So I think in the political realm, and it's uh, old habits die hard. I mean, as I said, I was take no prisoners. I was one side. I just went that direction. But I've learned in my new walk that there are other opinions. There are other points of view. I can listen to them. It doesn't hurt me to listen. And I might learn something if I listen rather than shout over them. Uh, And so I really try to put everything into, to use a, I think, a much-used phrase. Now, what would Jesus do is I just try to act a little more humbly and uh, lovingly towards people that I disagree with. And uh, I think what you're hearing in all
0: of us is we don't have this completely figured out. And or exactly how we think it even ought to be, we're, we're still works in progress. Jake, anything you'd add to that, and just in terms of any handles that you would offer or kind of th- mix
2: in here? No, I I can confuse <laughs> us more. You know, uh, you, it's just it's so funny because you can read a scripture uh, like this one that says you know submit to the authorities, and then you can also read a you know Peter uh, who's. Um, about to, I can't remember what it was, I think he might be a, about to heal somebody on a Sabbath or something like that, and they say, no, no, don't do it, it's a Sabbath, and he says, you know, judge for yourselves if, if I should, you know, obey your governing officials or or if I should obey God, you know, and and so it's, again, there's there, there is that sphere, and it's a limited sphere, um, but, but I, I just, I continue to find myself fired up about issues of injustice and equality and uh, marginalization, and, and and, uh, and I think that there's a place um, f- still for, uh, t- there's a place to get fired up, and there's a place to, to really stand um, for justice and, and, and against situations that, uh, that, that you can look at and just say that this is wrong, you know? Um, um, you can think of, uh, well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, uh, you know, stood in the face of, of Nazism, and you can think of Martin Luther King Jr., who stood in the face of, um, uh, of racism, thank you, and, um, and, and there's, there's something that's just deeply right about that, and, uh, and yet there, there needs to be, there needs to be a right way and a respectable way of doing that, uh, as well, that is still falls in line with that third aspect, that is loving, um, so isn't there a right way, like, like Jesus, even when he's angry in the temple, and he's quite aggressive even there, um, it's, it's just, it's a passionate love that drives him for justice towards, uh, these poor people are, who are having money wrongfully taken from them in the temple. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> you said something yesterday, Jake, that I just want to maybe have us wrap with, just about kind of where our confidence, or where our hope, you know, kind of our, our Interaction or participation in government and politics, but ultimately, kind of how we how that plays out.
2: Yeah, I I I think I said that there are three things that I'm going to do when it comes to to finding my way politically, and one is that I'm going to seek always to discover what the politics of Jesus are. Um, What would Jesus do? How how would Jesus vote? I'm going to try my best. To know what that is. And I know that in viewing that, we're all going to come at that from a different place. And, and we might not all agree on what Jesus might think about a certain issue. Um, but if we can find common ground if, if, if that is a starting point. What might have been Jesus' politic on, on a certain issue? And then I'm going to try and vote that way. Um, I'm going to try and vote the politics of Christ into office. Or on yes, no, different Issues. I'm going to try and vote those to win. But when the politics of Jesus lose, I'm going to continue to remember that that God still has His hand on creation. And when those things aren't voted into office or or uh, when they don't win, that we still are confident that that those aren't going to be what save creation anyway. It's going to be God and and, and, and just a second really positive aspect of that is that time we are we don't win elections the way that we think that they should go, um, or when our Christian morality isn't being reflected in in the laws, that just gives us the opportunity to shine that much differently as as believers and as the body of Christ, in being, being distinct from the society that, that is around us. And, and that excites me. I mean, because that's what it is. It's being salt and being light in tasteless and dark places um, that really makes us stand out. And you can see that in a lot of other, other nations um, where the church is um, being persecuted or whatever. They continue being about Jesus. And doesn't it just help them to shine ever bright ever more brightly? I think it would just add to what you said that not only when, when we're on the
0: losing side do we remember that God is in control, but maybe even more so when we're on the winning side. Mm. <laughs> that we we have a tendency perhaps when our political view wins out to begin to put more trust in that or to say, All right, now we got it. And and really recognizing and remembering that that it, it's only going to succeed or have any value as God blesses and leads and has his say in all of that as well. So, um, the, so we're not sure exactly. We're very, we're very humble. I think that's a tremendous trait to, uh, to encourage you, you each to as we think about uh, this, this, uh, this interaction, this conversation. And yet we continue to grab onto the things that Scripture makes clear to us one of those is that, uh, that as the body of believers, we, we worship one God, and uh, we are one body, even those of you who are, belong to different parties, political parties, we are one body, and that, that body supersedes your political party, and that we eat at one table, and that's why I think it's particularly appropriate today that we're going to close with Communion. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, my family, we like to eat together. And in my wife's family, uh, they when I used to visit their family when we were dating, they would eat, and then they would sit at the table for another hour. I'd be like, come on, let's, let's go do something else. <laughs> but that was just kind of their way, <clears throat> and they had discovered that good things happen in table conversation. And, uh, and I just would love to throw that thought out to you that as we share together at one table, even today, worshiping one God as one body, let the conversation continue. And let it be pleasing. Let it be seasoned with grace, with salt, flavorful to one another and to the world around us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for, uh, for how you're leading us and how you're helping us. Um, thank you for the body of Christ into which we can bring these sorts of topics and, and issues and discuss them with love and with grace. And without a doubt, everything that's been said here from the front isn't necessarily agreed uh, upon by everybody here. Um, and yet hopefully we've been able to find some, some common ground, some point of connection and conversation by which we can say that ultimately, however it all plays out, that you are the Lord of all. And uh, while we might honor the government leaders and political systems of our world. We, we respect you. We fear you, God. We recognize that you are supreme and authority over all it is. And so we're grateful to be able to have you lead us and continue to help us in this process. And I thank you for Tom and for Jake and for who you've made them to be and who you're making them to be and for others in our congregation who are walking similar paths. Would you just continue to lead us and help us to discover your, your path, your truth, for us in this issue. And as we gather at one table here, Lord, we remember that we're one body, with one Lord, and that nothing, if we're following you, nothing can divide us, or nothing can break us apart. And we pray that even as we take and eat of the bread and drink of the juice, that we'd remember the one whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for us, this, this Jesus who, who rose above all political systems, and who is raised again to live in our hearts and to give us the wisdom and the direction that we so desperately need. Um, So make us one even even more as we eat of, uh, of this meal and continue to foster our conversation as we grow closer together in you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.